When asked to review Lupin III, The Mystery of Mamo, manga mania reviewer Peter Lyle described the film as a convoluted tale that plays like the adventures of James Bond, Don Juan, and Charlie Chaplin all rolled into one, with plenty of wry humor and slapstick. <laughs> well, that is definitely better than my analogy of the weird bastard baby of James Bond and Carmen Sandiego, <laughs> who were raised alongside Kim Possible. Pontic friends, and welcome back to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a podcast about a monkey-faced Steve and his many adventures. My name is Natalie, also known as Captain Lee Helsing on the social media slash interwebs, and I am your host for this mini-sode. I am really excited to be an official part of the Sideburns and Cigarettes podcast. Pod? Like peas in a pod? Podrick Payne from Game of Thrones? Pedanti? Is that even a word? I think that's pedantic, and I'm going off topic. And to go even more off topic, I do want to talk about the state of our world, namely the coronavirus epidemic. When I recorded my cameo episode with the gang back in March, we were right in the middle of shelter-in-place orders here where I live in California. At the time, I was furloughed from my job and remained hopeful that we could control this by April and then go back to our no more lives. (laughs) Oh, my sweet summer child me. Obviously, that was not the case. I didn't return back to work until mid-August for one, and for the foreseeable future, my trip to Switzerland to hang out with our fellow co-host Guillaume has definitely been put on pause. And even now that I am recording this, while many countries in Europe are seeing their terrible second wave, here in the United States, we are experiencing it too. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area of California, more precisely the East Bay, and our governor has told us that we are now going back to a more restrictive tier, almost akin to how we were back in March, with shelter-in-place coming back and an odd curfew akin to Paris. I mean, do those even work? It's not like the bars have really been open since March. Any hoosies, why am I talking about this, you ask? Well, if it's because I'm going to have a platform such as this podcast, I'd really like to reiterate how dire the situation is and advise our audience to exercise caution. So please, everyone, especially with the holidays coming up, practice social distancing, wash your hands for more than 20 seconds, and for the love that is all holy in this world, please wear a mask. They work. And hey, if you're like me and want to avoid the family game of 20 questions at the holiday table, a pandemic is a perfect excuse as any. Yeah, auntie, please stop telling me that just because I am turning 30 that my eggs aren't getting any younger. Okay, now I am really going off on a tangent. But going back to socially distancing, this is probably a great time as any to stay home and watch some Lupin or even listen to this podcast. (laughs) Shameless plug. And when it comes to Lupin the Third, the wonderful thing about this franchise is that this franchise is like a charcuterie board. It has a little bit of anything and everything to satisfy anyone's particular taste buds. 
There's a little bit of manchengo, some parmesan, some grapes, those little bar pickles, some jams, and that smoked salami I love so much. And I mean it. Yeah, I get it's a little silly that I equated Lupin to a charcuterie board. Just leave me alone. I'm hungry for Thanksgiving food and Christmas food. And okay, okay, back on track. And Lupin the Third is not unique to this. Obviously, a lot of television, music, movies, and books have a little bit of this and that. Different flavors, different touches to appeal to the masses. But how many we can honestly say have withstood the test of time? How many of them are progressing with the times? What makes them so constantly appealing? How many of them can bring a group of mismatched individuals united in their love for the thing? Let me compare and contrast Lupin to a different form of art. To, dare I say her, Dolly Parton? And no, really, I am being serious. For those of you outside of the U.S. or who just may live under a rock, Dolly Parton is an American country and Western singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, actress, author, businesswoman, humanitarian producer, and the living embodiment of all that is good and pure in this world. Her debut album, Hello, I Am Dolly, was released in 1967. Say, didn't the manga of Lupin III come out in August of 1967? Wow, Dolly's career, Lupin's franchise, and my mother are the same age. <laughs> oh good, I think my mom's gonna whoop my ass for that comment now. And over the span of her 53 years and definitely still going on career, she has charted into other ventures, including but not limited to acting in movies, producing movies and shows, starting her own literacy program, the Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, her own frickin' theme park, Dollywood, which brings a lot of jobs to her home county of Seaver County, Tennessee, and literally put her hometown of Pigeon Forge on the map, which also has the Dolly Parton Museum, and is even using her own money to currently fund research for Moderna's COVID vaccine. And while she is predominantly a country and Western gospel bluegrass singer, a genre which a general consensus of people will definitely gripe and complain about how it's nothing but songs about big rig trucks and their lovers leaving them and love for good old America, that same general consensus of people will agree, Dolly Parton is love, Dolly Parton is life, Dolly Parton is timeless. In a 2019 ABC Nightline episode, Dolly Parton, Here She Comes Again, Radio Lab creator and host Jad Abumrad spoke about Dolly Parton's 2016 Pure and Simple tour. He said, and I quote, Right as the 2016 election was getting heated up, the country seemed to be spiraling out of control in terms of how we speak to one another. And then Dolly Parton goes on her Pure and Simple tour right as the country was starting to divide itself. And yet, here are people from all different walks of life and social groups and backgrounds coming together. You had bikers standing next to LGBTQ, standing next to evangelicals, all coming together and singing the same songs and coming out for Dolly Parton. It was an alternate vision of America. And I can attest to this statement. I actually went on that tour when it came to Mountain View, California with my best friend and now roommate, Maria. 
And while living in the Bay Area, we are kind of blessed to the diversity of people residing here, the prominence of the LGBTQ community, and we don't really have a minority of people that fit the core demographic that appeals to country music. And yes, I am talking about people from the South. The Dolly Parton concert was legit a massive and beautiful rainbow of diverse people all coming to enjoy, quote unquote, the thing which was the eternally beautiful Dolly Parton singing her songs and sparkling in all her bedazzled rhinestone glory. And I am still upset with myself that I never backed up that footage and photos from that night and then I lost my phone and yeah, um, that's a story for another time. <laughs> By now you're probably wondering, Natalie, I thought this was a loop on the third podcast. Why did you just spend an X amount of time talking about Dolly Parton? Well, again, in order to understand the enduring legacy of Lupin III, we have to have a compare and contrast. And what better way to compare and contrast my idol and God's creation of a cinnamon roll human being to my favorite franchise and, argumentatively, my first real anime husbando, Lupin III. <laughs> Lupin III was created by Monkey Punch, pen name for writer Kato Katsuko, and released in weekly manga auction in August of 1967. <laughs> I always knew Lupin was a Leo. And during this time, animator, I am sorry, Gisaburo Shugi, or Sugi Sugi, that was so bad, suggested to Yutaka Fujioda, the founder of Tokyo Movie, now known today as TMS Entertainment, to adapt Monkey Punch's manga into an anime. And this is how we got the pilot film, which my friends and colleagues already discussed in our heh, pilot episode. One aspect that definitely went into the creation of the pilot film was not only studying Monkey Punch's unique style of illustrating, but also being influenced by American cartoonist Mort Drucker of Mad Magazine. And while aspects of Monkey Punch's manga had to be toned down since financial backers weren't too gung-ho on backing up a project which was NSFW, with all the sex and violence going on, some fans and anime historians consider this a good thing. By toning down the pilot film and making it more palatable to audiences, it eventually led to the creation of part one, which in turn turned into part two, part three, the specials, the movies in between, lots and lots of merchandise that would make any collector squee once they own it, an all-women production of a musical by the Takarazaka Review, which I desperately need subtitles for, a crossover with another TMS entity, Detective Conan, the recent CGI film, a ride in meetable actors in cosplay at Universal Studios Japan, putting Monkey Punch's hometown of Hamanaka, Hokkaido on the map as a pseudo Lupin town which many hardcore fans, including myself, would love to make that quote-unquote pilgrimage to and see the Lupin III Museum. Yeah, you see where I'm going with this? Hell, let's mention some other influences that Lupin III has had to people. The animators and writers of the current ongoing DuckTales adaptation have mentioned on Twitter that they themselves are fans when viewers notice the cameos of furry versions of our beloved thief. Princess Nori, now known as Sayako Kurada of the Japanese royal family, even had her wedding dress design taken from Clarice's wedding dress in the castle of Cagliostro. 
and we will get more in depth as to how Cagliostro influenced a lot of animators and writers on a future episode of the podcast. But the condensed versions of some of the influences are George Lucas using Lupin in part of his creation for Indiana Jones, and we all know the story of John Lasseter and how heavily he was influenced by Castle Cagliostro as were the Disney animators, and you can totally see it in the 1986 Disney film The Great Mouse Detective. Even rapper Lupe Fiasco made a shout out to Lupin in a rap that he was featured in with Kanye West called Touch the Sky. And not to mention the fact that me and my colleagues are working on this podcast and we couldn't be vastly different from one another, with the common core being Lupin uniting us. And while I am picking at straws here and making a grandiose assumption that Lupin is a timeless franchise, who's to say other franchises or forms of art cannot be timeless? Well, they can be and they certainly are. And what factor is that? Nostalgia. Plain and simple. Think upon something like sitcoms and how even now a lot of them are making comebacks and having sequels or revivals. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is getting a cast reunion which will be on HBO Max sometime this month. Full House got a sequel thanks to Netflix known as Fuller House. And is it still even going on? I mean, didn't Aunt Becky, Lori Laughlin get indicted for that Varsity Blues scandal and uh, I I really don't care. And the Roseanne show on ABC. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not gonna even touch upon that. But while those are entirely different, the nostalgia factor is playing hard for these entities. And it isn't a continuous thing though. These sitcoms are not continuously going on with the times as say Lupin or Dolly Parton. Hell, even the likes of Hanna-Barbera's Scooby-Doo and Nickelodeon SpongeBob SquarePants, and even now Beetlejuice is (laughs) creeping up on that nostalgia factor with the recent Broadway musical adaptation. So, where am I going with all of this? How did my analogy go from a charcuterie board to talking about Dolly Parton to Lupin and now me essentially plugging for many other franchises? Well, I feel, in order to understand the enduring love and legacy of Lupin III, it definitely comes down to what allows a cartoon, anime, artist, movie to continue on, to be timeless. I've already mentioned nostalgia and a shared love for the entity, which can be subjective in different aspects, hence my analogy of the charcuterie board. But the core component of what allows a thing to endear and to continue is the ability to be timeless. In Dolly Parton's case, she had to evolve from country and western music to succeed, not saying that she wasn't success on her own then. but. While her style and her sweet nature helped, it was definitely the fact that her songs resonated with a lot of people. And yes, Jolene and Demblon did resonate with me, okay, like, don't at me. But once she was able to break free from the Porter Wagner show in 1974, and was able to cross over into more mainstream American pop music, her popularity surged. Add to the opening of her own theme park, and of course her first movie appearance in the office comedy, 9 to 5, which is actually my second favorite movie of all time after Harold and Maude, especially since Colin Higgins wrote Harold and Maude and directed 9 to 5. (laughs) Even to this day, she's coming out with more and more things that are not solely country music. The movie Dumplin' and her own TV series on Netflix, Heartstrings. And of course, she came out with a Christmas album this year. 
of all years to come out with a Christmas album. And yes, despite my eternal loathing of Christmas, I did throw all my money towards it because it's Dolly Parton and yeah, leave me alone. In the cartoon example, we have the multiple movies and series of Scooby-Doo, which even went away from the time setting of the 1970s to include things from the modern era, like smartphones, while still being remotely 1970s in style and feel. SpongeBob SquarePants obviously doesn't have a set timeline nor a real continuity, which allows for entities such as the movies, the really bad CGI film, and my personal favorite, the Broadway musical, which had multiple mainstream artists contribute to the song list. Even Beetlejuice, which started as a movie directed by Tim Burton in 1988, had a short-lived cartoon series in the early 90s, which definitely hits harder than the nostalgia factor, but he is becoming more relevant thanks to the recent Broadway musical, which went with the times by having the Maitlands be millennials who are hesitant for kids due to trivial reasons, and <laughs> Delia, a life coach who's obsessed with crystal collecting. On Lupin's End, we see him obviously set in the manga and pilot film, which is set in the timeline of the late 1960s. Some of that is definitely carried over with part one, but more along, the 70s were starting to creep in, so that and part two are set in that time frame. Mystery of Mama, which came out in 1978, is so 70s that, dear God, I am definitely wondering if any of the animators or writers were on acid the time they were working on that entity. <laughs> Part 3 slaps us in the face with how early 80s it is, and it's so 80s I am surprised none of them came out with a bigger hairstyle by Aquanet <laughs> and shoulder pads. Oh wait, Goemon had that fro. Or that poof. Okay, yeah, it was the 80s. And it was after part three that having the characters age, if they even did at all, stopped, I feel. And it basically let the characters move on with the times, eternally stuck in some eternal fountain of youth. <laughs> and this really did start the stupid theory in the fandom of the gang being Time Lords and just, dear God, can we not, like, leave that for Doctor Who? It's, it's bad. It's bad. And then after with part three came the TV specials, which kept up with the times here and there by adding certain things that made sense for the time it was written. In Zan Tetsuken Burning, dubbed Dragon of Doom, it had the plot element of the wreckage of the RMS Titanic, which was a pretty big deal in mainstream media in 1993. When Dr. Robert Ballard discovered the wreck in 1985, the mid-90s gave us nothing but a plethora of Titanic content from, of course, the 1997 James Cameron film to <laughs> a Broadway musical that won eight Tonys. <laughs> Even now with the recent Goodbye Partner special, there was a shout out to Edward Snowden in the plot, but they called him Edward Snowden with a Z instead of an S. <laughs> like, WTF, mate. <laughs> And personally, my favorite entity is the recent Part 5 series, which I consider it to be a love letter to the series as a whole, a la the Spongebob Squarepants musical. And this is because of all the Easter eggs, little cameos and things that only true fans of the series won't notice. And while Part 5 was awesome with the inclusion of new characters such as Ami, Yada, and my new son Albert, Don't At Me, 
The question of the series is very much, how can Lupin survive in our modern times filled with smartphones, social media, and constant invasive surveillance? And without giving any spoilers, the answer to that question is very much the theme of the franchise in general, that no matter what, Lupin is timeless. So in conclusion, I have just given off a whole spiel and felt like it went off in tangents with examples, but I do feel that this has touched a little bit upon the legacy that is Monkey Punch's darling, Lupin III. And while its appeal is definitely subjective, as is the rationale, no one can deny that it continues on. I for one am excited for any and other new forms of media this franchise can give us, whether it be more theatrical films, a sequel to the CGI film, more specials, another series. I'll even take a Broadway musical, like, please Broadway, since there isn't really any theater going on and writers need work. Look, as long as you collaborate with Yuji Ono on the music, I will allow it. I will throw all my money at it. Just shut up and take my money. And while I could go on to detail and maybe even add in Looney Tunes and even the current Animaniacs to this analogy, I feel this could be a story for another time. I even considered mentioning other animes like Sailor Moon and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but those are not as old as Lupin. And while the series thankfully continues on and many more people may be influenced, may be brought together by, or just merely enjoy it, Lupin is here to stay. They keep on stealing not just the treasures of the world, but our hearts. And he us here at Sideburns and Cigarettes will aim to at least break down each entity and mediums of the franchise, special by special, episode by episode, movie by movie, and see exactly the different things the charcuterie board of an anime has to offer. Take this as our mission statement. I would like to continue upon the subject in a part two minisode where I will do a breaking down of the quintet that makes the Lupin crew, as well as definitely do a minisode adding to this in terms of how to introduce someone who is new to the franchise. I will one day, when I have the free time, do a video essay series that will accompany the podcast on the franchise as a whole. And I mean it, whenever I have free time. I. It's funny how in a pandemic, I decided to work two jobs. I've literally turned into Mr. Frickin' Krabs. If y'all want to see what else I do on whatever free time I can get, then follow me on the social media slash interwebs. On Twitter at CapLeeHelsing, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. And on Instagram as CaptainLeeHelsing. That's C A P T A I N space L-I space H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Until then all, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy holidays. See you on the next episode, Lupontic folks. Music